Hello again. Welcome back, my friends, to another deep dive with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's reminder that times of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. We got nothing else to do, so might as well give you a little catechesis here. Uh, this is good stuff here. Today we're going to talk about spiritual abuse. We were on this series on uh, May's teachings. Oh, and I love those so, so dang much. I just think those are so dang good. Um, so we're moving off from that. Uh, that's kind of a, an Easter season, kind of a good theme to address. And now we're just kind of moving on to back into ordinary's time. That's, that's A-OK. That's great, in fact. Um, but this idea of spiritual abuse has been something that's been on my radar maybe a year plus now. And beforehand, it was not on my radar at all. I don't even know if I've heard of the term. And kind of just crazy to think about. So I want to want to just maybe share a little bit of my experience and and uh, maybe share a particular particular story. I'll give you a little the intro to it at the beginning here, and I'll wrap it up here at the end. So so don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Um, but before I begin that story, uh, let's begin in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise and honor you. We thank you for being a good father, a loving father, a just father, a wise father, a father who guides and leads and listens and and provides. Thank you so much. Help us all to, to live as good children. And for those of us who have been called to guide other people's souls, whether as parents or as pastors, help us to be good, just, wise, protective, guiding, so that we can... Be your image in the world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Help us to have a good little dialogue here. So, yeah. So there's a particular story that's really um, profound for me. Kind of has driven me home. And I think it captures a lot of what's going on here in the area. And I think it also captures a opportunity. An opportunity. You probably didn't expect me to hear that word. But this is going to be a story about how the spiritual abuse that he experienced brought him to faith. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, God is so good. God is so good. And I just love this story. Love, love, love this story. So I'll call him Joseph. I don't know if he wants to keep an anonymity or not, so I'll just keep him more or less anonymous. Uh, Joseph grew up in a little town, Oklahoma. A lot of good family family values, Christian values in that town, and his dad just raised him and his his other siblings just great, great. You know, he would do personal Bible studies with these kids, and and he would drop them off at at various churches and pick apart the uh, the preaching actually, and say, oh well, this is why y'all are wrong. This is why we are wrong. This is the true doctrine, and and he did this to kind of build up his boys to test them and. Help them to, to be able to identify what is true, what is not true, what is good biblical thinking, what is not good biblical thinking, and so on and so on. So kind of a unique background, uh, really an intense Christian background, one that I do respect in a lot of ways, actually, uh, very, very much. And and I don't know exactly the nature of the spiritual abuse that they had. Um, it's It's not totally clear to me. But this is kind of the, there's a very clear picture of the core. I, I say I don't know because I feel like there was more to it. There was more to this story. But at the bottom of it, what it was, 
once you give yourself to Christ, if you go back to sin, you really never had your conversion. And you're not on the path to heaven, and you're on the path to hell. And sorry for that. So this, so this is really I'm thinking about the story of this Joseph here, but, but him and his brother had a particularly difficult experience with this. Uh, there they were. They heard the message of God's love and his goodness and his justice and, and that they needed to convert. And so they gave their lives to Christ. And they got baptized, and that was great and beautiful and wonderful. And, and the, afterwards, they still realized that they had to struggle with sin. They had to struggle with sin. And as they, they expressed that vulnerably to at least their youth pastor, I think there was other people involved as well, but at least their youth pastor, they did not get a message of, of new opportunity and forgiveness. Instead, they got a message of, well, you must not have ever accepted the gospel. There's judgment for you. You got to do, do it all over again if you're ready. And if you can't leave behind sin, then that's proof that Jesus has not uh, been a piece of your life. And it hurt. Think about your family saying, hey, by the way, all this time, you know, we, we kind of thought you were part of our family, but you were adopted and, and we don't kind of have that same relationship with you anymore. And uh, we kind of wish that you could just get our blood. I'm <laughs> part of our family of blood. But uh, sorry, that's not, 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 gonna, not able to happen. Um, here's what you got to do in order to jump through these loops to be able to share in our family. And that's kind of their experience. Hey, you're you've been a part of our church group. You've you've been doing so well, and and we kind of thought that you had given your life to Christ, and now you're saying that you're still struggling in sin. And oh, I guess all this time you've been a hypocrite. You've you've not been so good. You've man, you're kind of two sided here. And you know, if you want to get back into the swing of things here, you really gotta you gotta you know do something different because what we're doing is not working and it's not our end that's the problem it's it's you who's the problem so you can just imagine the hurt imagine the hurt and there was at least one youth pastor involved and there were there was at least some other ex- bad experience with other pastors and so they they ended up just leaving they could never shake their faith they had deep deep faith and they they knew that christ was their savior and they needed him, but they didn't know what to do, and so they just kind of left and didn't go to any church. They just kind of wandered around and in uh, non-denominational, you might say, Christianity, where they're not where they're not stuck under the thumb of denominationalism. But even they wouldn't go to a whole lot of non-denominational service or worship or whatever it is. Perhaps sometimes, but not very often. And so their life on Sundays was staying at home, staying at home. Super sad, huh? Super sad. You know, that's that's just such a big bummer. Um, you know, the nature of spiritual abuse is you get beat up. You get beat up um, because of all kinds of different reasons. So what I'm going to do here in this is I'm going to walk through this this reality of spiritual abuse here. You know, I'm not going. I'm not an expert. I don't want to pretend like like I know what's going on. But but I will say that. It's, it's kind of a reality here locally here. It's definitely a reality. I keep on hearing people have 
bad experience with the church. You know, I visit them in the hospital, and, and I'll say, oh, yeah, you're a you believer? And like, yeah, yeah, I believe. I don't go to church on Sunday. It's like, oh, well, why not? Well, I had a bad experience. Oh, I had a bad experience. Oh, I had a bad experience. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of bad experiences with the church, at least in rural Oklahoma. I, when I was up around Tulsa in the suburbs, I don't recall hearing that. Um, even at the Catholic churches, the people who don't go to the Catholic churches, some have had bad experiences. I will not deny that. Um, and we also know of the horrific experiences that some people have had. But I would say that a lot of people not going to church is, is not related to any kind of spiritual abuse. It's just kind of falling off the tracks. Their faith has fallen off or indifference. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to put anything on that. But I don't think a lot of that is because of spiritual abuse. I'm sure it's up there. It's, I'm sure it's all over the place, but I don't think it's as prevalent as rural Oklahoma. You know, they, it's a tough situ- circumstance out here in rural Oklahoma. They're a little congregation. It's hard to hire a pastor. The pastor's there, but he's also working as a plumber or he's working as a pharmacy tech. Uh, I know circumstances of both of those. And so the kind of a pastime situation the family's all chipping in and he never went to seminary but you know he was always around the church his grandpa was a his dad was a pastor his grandpa was a pastor he kind of knows what's going on here and it doesn't go well a lot of the time we'll just kind of say that um super sad so the churches that are doing well are essentially <laughs> leaving behind the denominations that have been stuck in their smallness and they're edging into a more bland non-denominationalism. That trend, I think, is in Tulsa. But I think the big cause of that locally here in little towns of Poto, for example, is because they gotten hurt in these other little groups. So I'm not here to, to bash any particular group. I've intentionally been hiding the particular denominations that, that, have, that I'm aware of. But it's, it's tough. They're, they're not the mainline churches. They're, they're going off the other extreme. It's kind of the, the more mainline, not mainline, uh, more kind of the evangelical, Holy Spirit, uh, Bible-thumping groups. So first off here, let's, let's define... Oh, and I, before I define it again, sorry about that. You know, I, I even did, after I kind of realized this was an issue, I have done different podcast, not podcast, uh, videos and pumped them out on YouTube. And I have had people stop me and say, hey, yeah, I've seen some of those videos and they're, they're super helpful. Thanks for doing those. Which one of those was helpful? It's like, oh, this one where you talked about, um, I don't think I use the word spiritual abuse, but I people getting beat up by the church. And I said, hey, you know, just because the you got a bad coach or the team's no good, you know, doesn't mean you give up on the game. You still got a fighting chance, so fight it out or whatever I said. I don't know. And I have had a number of people say that that was a message that I needed to hear. There's a lot of people just gotten beat up, and some of them have just told me. It's just like, I am so sorry. It is super sad. So I'm now going to be quoting a book. This book is entitled The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, Recognizing and Escaping Spiritual Manipulation and False Spiritual Authority Within the Church. Co-written by David Johnson and Jeff Van Vonderen. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. And they define it as follows. 
After the definition, I'm going to describe a little bit more of the characteristics of it, describe maybe how theology has a role to play in this, describe where the Catholic Church might have its errors in this, and then come forward with a solution, and then wrap up my story with Joseph and his family. Spiritual abuse is the mistreatment of a person who is in need of help, support, or greater spiritual empowerment with the result of weakening, undermining, or decreasing that person's spiritual empowerment. So it can look like all kinds of different things, but essentially it's kind of just using the faith, a position of faith, perhaps you might even say, to make someone a worse Christian. They might not even be doing this consciously. It could be a theological conclusion that just has a really bad consequence. Um, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. And there's a real big role of that in this. So now I'm going to describe kind of what this looks like. Uh, kind of to describe this in 10 points here. The first is, a lot of times, they ignore a problem. And they characterize the problem through an exclusive spiritual lens. So they over-spiritualize problems. So, for example... Um, Hi, Father, I'm, I'm here, and my, my husband's beating me and my kids, and we're not sure what to do. And, and I'll say, well, you know, how's your prayer life? How's his prayer life? You know, that's his key. The key thing here is y'all not going to church enough, and this is a very big spiritual problem. Meanwhile, she's got like a bruise in front of her, and I should say, hey, have you gotten medical treatment for yourself? Hey, you know, let's let's walk down to the police and fill out file a report and make sure that he's, you know, immediately like taken care of and locked away. You know, let's take care of the issue at hand and do it urgently, eagerly, right in here, right now. You know, let's not put up with any more dangerous circumstances. But spiritual abuse tends to ignore the problem or over-spiritualizes it. The second occasion of it, I don't even know how to call this, but uh, the second possible manifestation is that it takes advantage of the vulnerable. You might say this is pretty dang universal reality as opposed to a possible manifestation. It's generally always taking advantage of a vulnerable, per vulnerable person, whether they're poor, whether they're weak, whether they're sad, whether they're uh, at a, in a lower position, or whether you as the committee hired them, whatever it might be. And it just takes advantage of someone who's vulnerable, at least, if not vulnerable, at least more vulnerable than you. It's kind of like going up to your pastor and say, hey, Father, can I, can I tell you something? He's like, sure, yeah, go ahead. And you tell him something gutsy, and, he, and you made yourself vulnerable, and he, and he botches it, and he, and he hurts you. A lot of different ways of hurting you, but this is kind of one of the characteristics. It's it's. It, directed towards someone more vulnerable. Thirdly, there's shaming very commonly involved. Um, well, you're the problem. It's clear you're the problem. You're not praying enough. You're not going to church enough. You're not doing this. You should feel bad. You're a terrible Christian. You're not doing your responsibility. What's your problem? It's shaming them. It's putting them on a guilt trip. That is not of God, obviously. It's not of Christ. Fourth, possible manifestation of spiritual abuse is no questions. Do not ask questions. I talked with you. You can talk about other things, but just don't ask questions about this. You know, we're not, we're not going there. You know, don't ask about the finances. We're doing fine. Don't ask about 
that girl over there. You know, everything is okay. Don't ask about um, this person who we just hired, who I've been friends with since I was 20 years old. And yeah, he kind of looks a little bit weird, but you know, don't, don't ask. It doesn't matter if he's not friendly or whatever it is. Don't ask questions. This is my operation here or our operation because it can also be done by a group. And then the fifth is no dialogue or listening. Very, very similar, um, but not just asking questions. Now it's like, I'm not talking about it. Conversation finished here. You know, we're not, I'm not, don't want to hear your side. We made a decision and we're going to stick it out. Um, you know, this is not, not open for conversation here. You know, this is obviously different than someone who's been conversing about a topic and the conversation just keeps on going. And <laughs> at some point, someone's got to say, enough is enough. You know, we're talking in circles now and it just ain't working. That's different. Number six, blame for unrelated problems. So instead of just kind of a, a standard guilt trip of, uh, here's your problem. Well, the problem is because of this, that, and the other. You know, now the problem is because of unrelated things. Unrelated things, because God wants you to punish, wants to punish you for something. What have you done to offend Him? Um, blah blah blah. All these different things. Very similar to shaming. Number seven, hiding information. You can imagine if people are doing something bad, they're not going to share it with everyone, and there could be other things that they're hiding that are not as important, but still kind of effective. You know, there's like real bad behavioral issues that could be happening. And yet a symptom of that might be hoarding the keys of the office or the keys of the cafeteria, not letting people who need the keys have the keys, um, limiting that or limiting visibility on different things. Um, could be hiding financial info. And that does happen at Catholic churches that, not very often, but uh, Royal Oklahoma, I guarantee it happens. Number eight, I could give you multiple examples of that happening in rural Oklahoma. And in Tulsa, there's too many rich people who donate, and uh, <laughs> the pastor has to. <laughs> Not the case out here. Number eight, it's too external, externally concentrated. Uh, a lot of the standard of conduct is externally based. Uh, not to say that it has nothing to do with, with living the gospel. Um, we will judge by our our actions, uh, by our charity, won't we? By our mercy. But it's like, if you don't wear these clothes, you're going to hell. If you don't uh, maintain a certain status, or if you don't have a certain status, then it ain't you're, you're you can't be part of our church. Uh, or if you're a sinner and you're trying to get back on your feet, if you haven't gotten back on your feet sufficiently well enough, you're going to drag down our church because everyone's going to know that you're a sinner and we can't allow for that. Um, you're, you're ruining the status of our church. Um, all these different things. I mean, your meals might have to be in a certain way, blah, blah, blah. It becomes formulaic. It keeps people to a non-gospel standard. Does God talk about clothing anywhere in Scripture? No. Is clothing helpful to express and manifest and grow in respect and reverence of God? Absolutely, there's no doubt. But does God say somewhere, hey, if you wear shorts to church, you're going to get you know, tossed out of the gates of heaven? No, he doesn't say that. You know, a church has a right to keep a standard dress code. Um, my experience in Poto is it's hard. You know, 
a lot of my people are working class and they don't have just the the extra change to go and buy you know a suit jacket or different things like that it's it's tough you know you get a bunch of kids and it's tough to have nice shoes for the kids whatever it might be you know for our our servers getting them to wear r- black shoes oh i don't i don't even try to fight that battle i just that is that it's hard <laughs> it doesn't happen and that's life that's life but if i said you must pay $40 to do this when the people might not have that $40 um, allowance for those shoes. I'm being a chump of a priest. I ain't going to do that. But if they got that, spend it. It's going to be worthwhile. It manifests your, your desire to give reverence to God. Number nine, maybe you cut out people. Maybe your group is doing spiritual abuse against Janet over there. You've had a group. You're the choir. Um, Janet's kind of got a weird voice, or maybe she's had problems with her marriage, or maybe she's got a, a kid who's going off the rails, and you're really not really happy to be around Janet, even though, yeah, she's part of the choir, but let's just do a little something and not invite her. Well, yeah, that's exclusive. That's making that's not empowering her spiritually. That's not helping and supporting her. That's just kind of throwing her under the bus. I'm not saying there's a problem with getting together with friends and you don't have to invite everyone every time you do something. But I'm saying if you do something as a group, everyone should be invited. You can't just exclude people. <laughs> you just can't. Uh, the final one of these possible manifestations of spiritual abuse is secrecy. You're not free to talk about abuse. You know, you're, it's just kind of like sign sealed, you know, don't open your mouth. I've kind of talked about this one, the no dialogue or no listening, but the secrecy is even kind of taking that up a, up a notch where it's just like, I'm now going to ask, not only, not I'm only saying I'm not listening to you, but now I'm going to say what you do know, I'm going to ask that you keep that secret. Don't let this out. And if there's a problem here and you've admitted that there's a problem and I've heard it, well, I don't like to hear it. But I'm also going to ask that you don't go to the police or you don't go to the pastoral council or you don't go to the financial council or you don't go to whoever, you know, someone else. You know, just keep it secret. Just keep it secret. So those are the 10 possible manifestations of spiritual abuse. And I will say there's all kinds of forms of legalism that gets put in there power posturing, there's guilt trips, uh, a lot of just kind of like formulaic requirements. Um, And there's theological layers to this. That's kind of the next part here. There's theological layers of this. Sometimes people will literally believe, and they've kind of established their church on, you have to follow these rules. And they're not gospel rules, but you gotta gotta follow these rules. And it might be wearing uh, something... Eh, that's not a good example. Maybe you have to wear a skirt, a skirt if you're a woman. If you're not wearing a skirt, if you're wearing like jeans, you know, that's you're you're offending God. You know, it doesn't say anything about that in the Bible. If you are blah blah blah, I don't, I don't, all kinds of different things. If you don't have the right kind of hat, you know, if you're a member of our church, then you have to wear a tie to to church. Uh, you know, I know one group. I guess they're technically not Christians, but they they talk about Jesus. And when they go to service, oh, they're all finely dressed and they look very good. And (laughs) it's just like, oh my gosh, you are definitely requiring them to dress up nice. And if you don't, I have been told that you're not welcome there. Um, Actually, that was not specifically for dressing up. I'm sure it is. But 
someone said that there was a complication in their family and they were informed that they were not welcome to return. Can you believe that? It's true. It actually happens. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. So that's kind of a theological layer that you have to perform. You have to do this. You have to, to understand this. Also not understanding how the balance between justice and mercy works. And to be honest, it's not even a balance. God's mercy is his justice, and his justice is his mercy. He is radically just by pouring out his mercy, and he's radically merciful by giving us our due, what we are owed. Uh, If he stopped doing one or the other, it would not be just and would not be merciful. And, And to have a way to understand that is... Is, is a big theological balance. Uh, yeah, I'm Catholic. I believe we got the perfect balance given by Christ. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. I'll finish my story here in a minute. But sometimes it's like, oh, you know, here you go. You get baptized, um, and you're, you're living your life. But if you fall back into sin, that was a sign you never repented. So therefore, you got to get baptized again. And then you got to get baptized again, and which kind of I don't know if I would say it goes against Scripture, but it would go against the witness of Scripture. When, if you were to enter in the kingdom of God, you have to be reborn again with water and spirit, which says if baptism is a requirement to enter the kingdom of God. If you got baptized, you're in the kingdom of God. It's a permanent reality. You might not be an active member. You might be a dead member, but it is. So you don't get rebaptized. <laughs> it's kind of a theme down here. It's kind of a thing. A lot of people get in multi-baptisms. So that's a theological layer to it as well. It's kind of a complication. And I would say finding that balance between justice and mercy is really a, a hard thing for a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of good-natured people who, who, who repent and get the life of Christ, and they just keep on going smoothly, and, and it works out good for them. But there are also other people who God's providential, mysterious plan has them up and down and all around and and... The messages of brothers and sisters who do not have a good theological foundation, it's, it's rough. They get beat up. They get beat up. So there are theological roots that can be involved. For the Catholic Church, um, you know, we can think of the past. We can think of the past. That there was, specifically I'm talking about the, the child abuse, child sexual abuse scandal that we've had. Talk about layers of secrecy. Talk about layers of uh, how I want to describe it. Secrecy was pretty big. Um, There was an intellectual understanding about the nature of abuse, thinking that it was a psychological thing. And they acted based on that to their current shame. They should never have bought into that belief. That is totally embarrassing. It doesn't even make sense. A totally embarrassing claim. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. So there's some of those kind of things. The secrecy, perhaps the uh, privileging of the priesthood over over the the victims. Perhaps there is the fear of being embarrassed, of causing scandal, all these different thing, different things. Um, I would say another thing. Sometimes we can be formulaic. Um, for example, there's cursio. They kind of have a particular pattern of life that they would follow. There's uh, the charismatic movement, the charismatic renewal movement. Um, and when it is organized by the 
um, the way that the church organizes it, then there's kind of a pattern of life that you live, and there's a way that you do different things. There's the Christian family f- movement, I believe it's called, and you know, you kind of have your way of life there. And it's a problem when it becomes so bought into that it becomes the gospel. If the church is going to be renewed, it must be through cursio. It must be through the charismatic renewal. It must be through uh, the neocatechumenal way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, communion and liberation. What are some other things that maybe are, maybe are in the Tulsa area? Uh, Emmaus. Um, there's a group called Emmaus in Tulsa among the Hispanic parishes. The front, All these different things. But that's not true. The gospel is the gospel. The gospel didn't say you have to um, wrap yourself in a specific form of lifestyle other than what is the gospel lifestyle, the lifestyle of Jesus. So all these things are forms of putting on the lifestyle of Jesus, but they are not the lifestyle of Jesus. So I've seen that. I don't know if I've seen people get hurt by it, but I've seen it cause a little bit of confusion. Um. I have also seen this in the Catholic Church with a little bit too much focus on externals. Um, Yeah, and I would, maybe a little bit of people feeling guilty if they can't dress a certain way at Mass. Um, Kind of out of their ability or maybe having to go way above and beyond for like first communion or, or confirmation or different things like that and it becomes a financial burden and I would consider that to be spiritual abuse I think that's kind of ridiculous I think that's a broad social um, factor not the priest who's doing it unless it happens that way but it's just kind of the the social pressure put on people to buy all these different things I think that's a form of spiritual abuse at the communal level and uh, people who participate in that have a share in that guilt I do believe that. I would also say the way that we talk about masks can be a form of spiritual abuse. So, for example, COVID-19 hit. People leave the church. People leave the faith. And let's say that someone left the church. They left the faith. They, they're really not. They've kind of discovered that uh, they've been living life without Jesus, and it's been, quote-unquote, okay. Why do they need to go back if they're doing okay? Well, and someone... A, a supposed friends come friend comes up to them and says, "Hey, you need to go to mass. It's part of God's law. You have to go to mass. You have to go to mass." It's like oh, that's spiritual abuse because you're putting the cart before the horse. The horse comes first. Faith comes before the duties of a Christian. It is required to attend mass, and it is a gospel standard. It's not a human standard. It's a gospel standard. Keep holy the Sabbath. We do that by worship on Sunday and no work on Sunday. But if someone doesn't have faith, it means nothing and nothing. And you're just putting them on a guilt trip that they don't even understand, and they're going to think you're ridiculous. And they're not even going to experience it as spiritual abuse. They're going to experience it of a friend just being a chump, and they're going to be hurt. Um, thinking that we what we really care about is the numbers. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Um, caring about the numbers. Caring about the numbers. I, I wish I did not have the numbers float through, my, I don't know about my desk, but float through my mind or float through the office so much. I, I don't like that because I think we do dip into that that form of spiritual abuse. and I, Maybe not spiritual abuse, but it it's a constant temptation towards hyper focus on externals of numbers that's not why we're here the solution 
Well, the solution is to recognize it. You know, it's kind of like you go to a doctor, the first thing he's going to do is diagnose. You have to recognize that your experience maybe ain't so normal, that the way that your pastor is treating you just ain't so normal. Or if you are a pastor, the way that your parish council is holding you to undo unhelpful expectations is not helpful. Um, whatever it might be, you got to recognize it ain't normal. You know, no one should put you on a guilt trip. No one should have you fulfill a standard that you have not agreed to, and that's not what Jesus agreed to. You know, if you're if you're joining a group, you got to meet the standards of the group, but you do that freely, freely, and you're recognizing that it's not linked with your salvation until it is. You know, you got to meet the standard of Christ. But if it's not the standard of Christ, then it's just a free thing that you enter into or you freely leave. You got to recognize it's not normal, which is tricky for a number of different reasons. People who are caught into this system and they get deeper and deeper into it, they begin to, it happens incrementally. It's kind of like saying, you know, the pastor gives them one lie first, then gives them two lies, gives them three lies. And the, by the time they get to the fifth, uh, the fifth set of lies, they'll say, well, last time I only got four lies. Now it's just one more. It's just five. And they lose track of that it's not normal for a pastor to lie that they should not be comparing five lies against four lies, but five lies against zero. <laughs> That's, that, that needs to be what's going on here. So don't let yourself talk yourself out of, don't talk yourself out of being honest. If you're being taken advantage of spiritually or in other ways, call it what it is. Call it what it is. I actually don't like the word spiritual abuse. I don't think it's helpful, but but I think you need to have some way of recognizing that this is an unhealthy dynamic and I got to get out. All right. The second dimension after you diagnose yourself, what you're experiencing is not normal, you got to renew the mind. Uh, what does St. Paul say in Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Uh, he talks about the renewal of the mind. And you, you soak up the teaching of grace, that God loves you freely, that God is not lying, you, lying to you. He's not trying to trap you. He's a good, loving father. He's not some kind of a, a guy there in heaven who's on speed dial when we need help. He's not um, kind of a mean dad up there. No, he's a dad who loves, who has given the life of his son, and he is there for everything. And we need to renew the mind on the free gift of God's grace, the free gift of his love, the free gift of his forgiveness for those who choose to repent and let your your heart and mind be renewed by that very simple gospel message. Absolutely. So it's to hear the gospel again, to go back to the basics, to go back to the basics, just so your mind can kind of help get a sense of that normal again. Uh, and then the solution has to get very practical. It's fight or flight. I think going into a little hole and just hiding from it all is a temptation that people have at a big church. which is like, well, I'm just going to slip away, and I'm still going to go to church, but I don't, I'm just going to sit on the side. I don't think that helps anything. Uh, I think you'd be better off and going to a different church, not going to lie. Um, Catholic churches. <laughs> what if you love Jesus in the Eucharist, you'll you'll be at the Catholic Church. That's not too complicated there. If you recognize you need authority in your life, you're going to go to the church that received that authority from Jesus. You're going to be at the Catholic Church. But but if you cannot get free in any other way, you got to free yourself by by f- flying. 
and um, or you, you stick in there and fight it out and you bring it to people's awareness and you, you highlight what's going on. Um, you don't have to have a confrontation with the entire church. Maybe it's just the pastor doesn't know what he's been doing and you just got to bring it to his attention. He's like, oh my gosh, I think you're right. I am so sorry. And um, Or maybe it's the, a group of people in the church like, y'all have not been doing well. Y'all have been putting me on this guilt trip and I don't appreciate that. I, I want to love you. I know you love me too, but... You know, can we just kind of refocus, kind of come back to, to scratch and do it again? Otherwise, you're gone um, by your own free will, if not their will. So it's fight or flight. Don't be afraid to fight it. Um, but expect resistance. Expect resistance. Uh, expect God's help as well. Um, don't fight battles that are dumb. Fight battles that are that God is calling you to fight. And I think also keeping this this idea of what is the ideal here. The ideal is that not everyone's looking to the pastor, looking to the staff to get the church flourishing. It's when the parish, the paid staff, the volunteers, everyone in the pew is recognizing that they have gifts and they have needs. They have gifts to contribute and they have needs. And they shouldn't go to the pastor for their ultimate needs. They should go to Jesus Christ. Now, the pastor might be able to help coordinate that or coordinate that or, or guide that along. You know, there's a way that he does help through his gifts. But, but it's linking them with Jesus, just as he is trying to be linked with Jesus. He also can't be dependent on other people. What are they thinking of me? Oh, everyone's wanting my time. Oh, everyone's wanting blah, 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 blah. And I have to work for the people. No, that's when the people are spiritually abusing the priest. I guarantee you that happens. I guarantee you that happens a whole lot. It's probably actually happening more than vice versa today in the Catholic Church. I will I will say that. Talking with priests, priests feel like they have to maintain a certain standard um, to main, keep up with other churches so that pa- parishioners don't leave because they don't have roots. Parishioners don't have roots like they used to, and they do pick up and leave, not because they're being spiritually abused, but because... They just want something better, more interesting, more engaging, um, whatever it is. And they might have a right to do that. I don't really know. Um, it's kind of tricky to say that. But but they, but the result of that is that pastors feel really, really pressured, really, really pressured by people, not by God. They should be feel the pressure from God, but they feel pressured by the people, and they have to fulfill a certain like, work schedule and expectations. Sometimes the pastor's really lazy. He might be really benefited if he felt that. But um, but ideally, it's God who is the engine behind the priest and not the people. Um, certainly, love for the people is a motivating factor. There's no doubt about that. But the love of the people comes from God also. It's God who is at the core of our motivation. Now, my friend who I've been calling Joseph, he, through his brother, came into contact with the Catholic Church. And I think a big thing for him was this idea of confession. He had gone off and got baptized, I forget how many times, I think it was three three times, three times or three times in addition to his first baptism. And he's like, well, why do I keep getting baptized sincerely and going right back to sin? Dang it. And he just couldn't come to grips with what's going on. And it was through the inheritance of the Catholic Church that we have sacraments that bring about forgiveness that are not baptism, that, that is what really struck home with him. Um, he recognized that we have a fine way of balancing justice and mercy. 
And confession is just such a key, key element in that. So he, his brother came to the church. Now he came to the church. Now his third brother came to the church. And, you know, I praise God for that. Um, You know, they're still working out their salvation. I'm working out my salvation. This is kind of how it goes. The journey continues. But but I'm, I'm just so proud of this guy who had the openness of heart after being burnt by so much, had openness of heart and the trust in a close, close friend to listen attentively. And through that trusting relationship, he discovered a treasure in the Catholic Church through a true balance of mercy and justice where he wasn't going to get beat up. So praise God. Again, my friends, please leave a positive review on this unless you want to give like a super positive review. That is permitted as well. Share it with a friend. You are quite likely friend with someone who's suffered spiritual abuse. I hope this has been helpful. I hope you can find, um, perhaps some of you can find self-knowledge in this, uh, identify your own weaknesses in this, identify what's happening in some different relational dynamics in this, and find a way to crawl out. Please don't hesitate to share this with anyone uh, because it's just hard for a lot of people, a lot of people. Um, I think it's a real big opportunity for us as Catholics we have different mechanisms that keep us from spiritual abuse today. I say today because in the past it wasn't there so much, but now our history is a mechanism that keeps us on the right path. Um, among other things, our theology, the gift of God, and, and the sacraments, the confession, Eucharist, baptism. Um, it's it's an opportunity for us. If we can hear people out, if we can have a, tr- a relationship of trust with them that we can preach to them uh, the fullness of the gospel not just a part of the gospel and a part of the gospel is not the whole gospel but god sent out his apostles to teach all that i have commanded you not part of what i've commanded you he said he said all that i commanded you so this is what it means to be catholic according to the whole enchilada according to everything according to the all thank you adios my friends may almighty god bless you father son holy spirit amen